Berserker Cast, episode number seven, door number three. Golden Spiral Media presents Berserker Cast, a podcast dedicated to falling skies on TNT. Each week we discuss the action and drama that unfolds as Tom Mason, Captain Weaver, the Berserkers, and the rest of the Second Mass fight to win back the planet from the alien overlords. Call in your thoughts about each episode at 304-837-2278 or email feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com. And now, Berserker Cast. Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Falling Skies Podcast, otherwise known as Berserker Cast. I'm Daryl. And I'm door number two. <laughs> I wish I'd thought of that. I should have introduced myself as door. We should have worked this out ahead of time, Emily. I'm sorry. It just popped into my head. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. It's a good idea. It's a good idea. I'm door number one. <laughs> but I said it first, so. But in post production, this- they'll never know. Oh, great. Working with an audio editor. (laughs) (laughs) I should write a book. Uh, I should write a book. Maybe I am writing a book. book. Maybe we are all writing a book. The Book of Life, folks. Let's not talk about the Book of Life right now. Let's talk about Falling Skies, Season 4, Episode 6, entitled Door Number 3, which aired on July 27th, 2014, directed by none other than Jonathan Frakes, written by Melissa Glenn. And then we got to see uh, Jesse Schramm back as the ultimate babysitter, a.k.a. Yeah. Karen. Did you watch the behind-the-scenes video that they released oh, this no, week? No, I didn't. you got to get on the stick on those. I'm sorry. I read Greg Beeman's blog post, and then I kind of just forget about everything like, else. I need nothing else. I've made contact with Greg Beeman, my hero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> everything else is just amateur hour. It was good. It, it had uh, Jesse Schramm, the, the scene that we had with her again this week with uh, the Ishvini flashback on the Ishvini ship, I should say. And uh, she talked about how she thought she was dead. And when she got the call that, hey, we've got a role for you, she was like, sweet. You know, you never know. Isn't this the second time she's come back this season? At yes, least the second time, maybe the third. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm. I'm. It's. I, it's getting to that point where I actually like seeing her again because you know it has no impact on the future. It's just <laughs> exactly it's everything that's taking place in the past. I. That's so weird. I feel the same way. I'm like, oh, cool. Karen's <laughs> on screen. Awesome. <laughs> everything she's done has already happened. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's good stuff. I'm glad to hear uh, you. You feel the same way. Cool. Well, we talked about the episode title in our in our intro. We joked about it anyway. Uh, Justina called in about the episode title. This is what she had to say. I think this episode of Falling Skies has the perfect episode title. Door number three. Door number one, Lexi is a threat. Door number two, Lexi is not a threat. Door number three, Lexi is a hybrid. Lexi is two things at once. Therefore, she could be dangerous and not dangerous. At the very least, Lexi is unquantifiable at the moment, and we have to sit back and see what happens, which is exactly the decision that Tom is making. It must be a very impossible decision for Tom, being a parent, because he wants to protect his daughter, but at the same time, 
He doesn't want harm to come to his sons or the people that he has come to see as family. Yes. This episode did a lot of that. Obviously, we're going to talk about all the, gosh, the questions and the challenges that each of our each of our characters faced in this episode. And some of that I liked, some of it I didn't like. Um, but, you know, you're kind of that way, too. Uh, door number one, Emily's a nice person on this podcast. <laughs> but then she changes her name to Miss Ice and joins another podcast. And all of a sudden, mm, <laughs> door number two opens up. <laughs> well, you know, I do have a couple personalities, and every once in a while, I just like to air them out, you know, open open that door. How many Twitter IDs do you actually have? We don't have to get into numbers, you know, that's not important. <laughs> <laughs> numbers, shmumbers. <laughs> we'll go yeah. three that you know about. Actually, you probably know about four, but... I think I know five, or five? at least okay. at one point I did, yeah. Okay. I, But I'm not convinced that's even half of them. You know what's really cool about this episode? What is really cool about this episode? It started out with them in different groups. We still had team Lexi slash Anne. And immediately we got in, we joined Tom and uh, Hal's group. And then immediately after that, mm-hmm. we uh, which, which now also includes Matt. Uh, and then immediately after that, we joined Matt slash Tom slash Hal with Anne slash Lexi. And hey, hey, the gang is finally all together. How I cool know. is that? It was my favorite part, just because I was like, I don't have to wait anymore. Everybody is all back together. I liked it because when I had all of our show notes, you know, kind of bulletized by those different storylines, and I went, oh, cool, delete, 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 boom, we have one batch of of show notes now. I thought you were going to comment about how I've abused your nice little format here, even. I just started inserting notes everywhere. But well, yeah, it's no, all right. Definitely. I, I love that we're back all back together and not just because I found a couple of those storylines boring, but because, you know, even Greg Beeman has told us a couple times in his blog that they have had to really make up for the financial sins of the earlier parts of the season because a couple of those scenes in the very early parts of it cost a lot of money. So mm-hmm. they're they're having to really downsize the uh, longitudinal production so that <laughs> they can actually fit everything in the season. And, and then there's a couple bigger scenes to come later in the season. So yeah. even though we're stuck with these bottleneck episodes where they really have to contain where the action takes place, there were so many points of view of each character that, yeah. and, and, and the, and the tension was tight enough that it didn't, you, you almost felt like they were in a bigger area than they actually were. You really did. That's a good way of putting it. And I'll also say that even though they have scaled the show back, and there's a there's a term for that, and I'm sure if, if uh, Corey in, in Australia who's got the film degree was here, or even one of our listeners that are in the chat room, there's a word for that when they have to scale down a couple of episodes because it's they called need to a pay bottle for the episode. Ones. Is that it? I thought I had a, a more technical name. I think it's called a bottle episode. Okay. Well, I mean, maybe that's just the colloquial name, but... Maybe it is, and, that, and that's fine. But yeah, I mean, that's a that's a thing that happens. They spend money here and, and make it up elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the effects that they did with Lexi's cocoon was still pretty freaking awesome. You know, I don't really think that was an effect. I mean, there there's a lot of detail. There are not a lot of details. There's like pictures on Beeman's blog about mm-hmm. the, the actual construction of it. Um, so there might be a little bit of visual effects at the end, but a lot of it is actually real. 
No, no I, I guess I, I probably should have defined that a little bit better. Sorry. I do think it was it was practical effects, but I, there was some CG over it with the heat waves and stuff like that. Oh. But no, all I mean is is yep. that was still cool. That was a new thing that we got in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a prop that had to be built. There was money spent on that is what I'm trying to say. And it was, it was well done. I liked it. The lighting yep. and the, yep. you know, the, well, you could see through everything. It was cool. Yeah. I thought, you know, the, with all of the CGI that they have to do with those mechs and stuff, it's just amazing how realistic everything actually does seem right when it comes down to it. I mean, I remember a couple early episodes in season one where you, where you could really see the CGI of the skitters moving mm-hmm. and they, it has gotten a lot better and yeah, I, I concur. The yeah. props are great. Indeed. Before we get into things here, Wolfbite wrote in and had some comments to say about the episode last week. And I just wanted to read this because I thought it was a really good point. He says, I think people have been confused by the addition of Sarah to the cast. The whole point of adding a character like Sarah is to use her as a reflection, a mirror that is held against another character to show how far the reflected character has come. In this case, Sarah represents the person Pope used to be. She's self-centered, smart-mouthed, and manipulative. I'm pretty sure that by the end of the season, Sarah will be the ultimate season one Pope and betray the second mass. So we didn't actually get to see her in this episode, but I just thought it was a good thing to be reminded of. And mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely early Pope, she feels like. And so maybe, <laughs> I think I said early on that uh, they might end up I don't even remember what I said. Did I say they ended up falling in love or what? I can't remember. I think we both thought that they probably would. Yeah. But we'll see. I kind of yeah. liked it that we didn't have her this week. I did too. <laughs> so <laughs> I hate terrible. to say that. It's not a knock on Mia. I think she's great. You know, yeah. she's obviously speaks for her talent speaks for itself. But, you know, I, here's the thing. I was thinking about it the other day after the episode aired on Sunday night, and I was thinking about it yesterday and going, man, it was kind of nice not to have Sarah. And then I started counting the cast. I'm like, how many cast people do they have to work into the script every episode? I mean, you got six Masons if you count Anne, and then you've right. got, you know, Weaver and Tector and Anthony, and now you've got two Volm that we have to deal with and all these other characters that, that you know, Pope and, and stuff that, that come before Sarah you know, Lourdes and all, you know, all those things. And, uh, I didn't even think about Kadar. I just now thought about Dr. Yeah. Kadar. So it's, it's gotta be hard to get lines to some of these characters. I'm sure they sit in the writer's room and go, here's a line we need to be spoken. Right. Who haven't we given lines to you? Because they have so many of these, <laughs> right. even like Matt, Matt's now in a position where he's only going to get one or two lines an episode. Yeah. And Matt and Tector both, I think mostly had grunting lines in this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. I think Matt had one line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway moving into this episode I wanted to start off with Ben's dream because (laughs) even though he is having a very revealing dream about Maggie I was more interested in Hal being part of this as well so Hal or there's a knock on the door while they're making out and Mm -hmm. Hal or sorry Ben immediately thinks that it's Hal he just he just says it's Hal and then Maggie tells him to be quiet. But then Hal bursts in anyway with this huge bloody wound on his chest and mm-hmm. says, where were you? And because of the angles that everything was shot at, you don't really know who Hal was addressing. Was he addressing Ben or Maggie? Of course, it's Ben's dream. So just assuming that he was addressing Ben. But right. 
I'm starting to wonder if Barb's theory of Ben dying might be a little off base. Oh, you think Hal might die? I don't know. It's it's super. It's it was super out of place. Like there, it would it would have made sense if Hal would have burst in and said, "Why are you sleeping with my girlfriend?" <laughs> uh-huh. But but he was wounded. He had been waiting for Ben or or Maggie maybe. But I don't know. I just wanted to bounce that off of you. Anything anything about that dream change your perspective on Ben's fate? Um, yeah, it actually reinforced Barb's <laughs> idea in my mind. Dang it! I'd rather yeah. hell die. <laughs> I, Did I say that out loud? I think that um, Ben definitely was starting to develop some feelings for Maggie. We talked about that after episode one or two of the season. And he was feeling guilt about that. You know, our subconscious has a way of doing that in, in, in dreams. That's happened to me before where... I was thinking about something or maybe I was stressed out about something and then I had a dream about it or something like that. And so I think that he's struggling with this. I, he, he has feelings for Maggie. How can he do that? How can he move in on his brother's girl while his brother's out there in the middle of the fight? You know, and so I think I think that's what was going on here. I think that what not necessarily that scene reinforced the idea, but later on at the end of the episode, when lines are being drawn, you see that. Ben was one of the first to stand strongly with Lexi. And remember mm-hmm. that line, he says, I will die for you. And he, mm-hmm. we were kind of seeing that put in place here where he was one of the first and most staunch to step, to stand beside her. So that, that scene was really more of what reinforced it than the dream sequence, but that's how I took the dream sequence. Okay. Sorry to, to bust your, uh, your hopes. Whatever. There. I mean, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too sorry. I mean, maybe I can't win at anything, but whatever. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty funny, though. And, you know, I've seen uh, somewhere, oh, it was one of the videos I think they did between the seasons, but there was a behind the scenes video of of how many hours it takes to put on Ben's prosthetics on his back. And it depends on how much, like, is he, does he have a shirt on and you just see the top couple of spikes? In this case, he had the the shirt off and the full treatment. That I think that takes like six or eight hours to put on just for... 30 seconds of screen time. Yeah, but that's the same thing for the bone, too. <laughs> well, that's, gosh, that's true, too, yeah. Let's just yeah. kill off the bone and save Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Shaq will die. Maybe. Maybe Shaq will die. We didn't get any Cochise this episode, we either. didn't. Okay. Lexi is talking to Lourdes, and they continue to have these great, you know, connection spots. But she says to Lourdes... My father's returning. I need to be ready. Lorda says, Tom's coming here? Um, yeah, I didn't take that as Tom as, at all. When she said, my father's coming, I immediately thought she meant the Ashvini. And I still think she meant the Ashvini. I think Lourdes was, you know, uh, mm-hmm. mistaken. Now, it seemed like Lourdes was her intuition or, or her understanding of, of Lexi's intuition was correct when Tom showed up. But I still don't think that that's what... Lexi was talking about what what about you well you know I, I thought I think the same thing because on first listen my father's returning you know and that's all you really hear because you know Tom is coming or is almost there but yeah. then I need to be ready which implies that she would have been done being ready by the time Tom had got there if she was actually talking about Tom mm-hmm. so, totally agree I think she is waiting for her Shvenny. 
And we got the conversation later in the episode, you know, just reiterating that Dishvini is as much her dad as Tom is in a in a weird way. Right. So, well, later on I'll get into some more parallels to the Christ figure, but mm-hmm. this is definitely a leeway into that. She seems to know what's going to be happening to her or not surprised. And when she looks down, she's kind of covering her hand from Lourdes. And when Lourdes leaves, she pulls out her hand and it's all starting to get gooified. And she looks really happy about what's happening. So I don't think she was at all surprised about the metamorphosis cocoon thing going on. Neither do I. And had I been more prepared last week, we would have had a major clue into this because I I mean I don't watch spoilers I don't watch the preview for the next week and I try to stay as much away from them as I can so Mm -hmm. I really had no idea the cocoon was coming and so I I found the the painting above Lexi's bed oh yeah you did is a is a uh, it's a representation of the rape of Europa and it was painted by Noel Nicholas Koipel in 1727. So the it's taken from the mytho- the Greek mythology of the many reinterpretations of it. The one that I thought of was Ovid's Metamorphosis and you know do do you know the do you know the Greek mythology or uh, the the story behind the rape of Europa? No, I know some Greek mythology but no not this one. Fill us in cuz I'm sure I'm not the only one. Okay, well what struck me as really weird is so the gist of it the, I mean, the, the climax of that story is pretty much that Europa has been, um, I think she has been isolated on an island by her father so to keep her away from Zeus because Zeus has been, you know, raping women all around. So he, uh, Zeus disguises himself as a white bull and slowly merges his way into her life, gets her to trust him. And so, and finally lures her away from her safe haven. So he... Uh, gets her to trust him enough for her to climb on his back and he begins to swim away from the island. And as she realizes that he's taking her away, she looks back at the island, kind of frightened, and uh, but but still continues to hold on to the bull. And I think this is what makes her the queen of Crete. But um, okay. essentially, point being, Zeus disguises himself as a bull, gets her to trust him, takes her, uh, takes her away with him, and she is forever torn from that haven that her father had set up and i think it's her father i i I might be wrong on that but but yeah i i I just i found that interesting because i was like okay so what kind of metamorphosis are we talking about here did 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 i mention that this is taken from ovid's epic poem metamorphosis i couldn't remember if i said that you briefly did Mm -hmm. okay so i i don't know here whether if if there is any parallel at all whether lexi is supposed to be europa or if she is supposed to be the bull and that she is luring people away from their haven or is she being lured away from the haven in some way by mm. the metamorphosis of Zeus? Wasn't she referred to as Zeus by Pope? That's right. She was. Interesting. I like mm-hmm. that. Because hmm. my, my initial thought was, well, in this, if we're going to start making comparisons here, the Ishvini are Zeus, but then it occurred to me that she was referred to as Zeus. But of course, Pope was just spouting off and... Right, spewing... The, Popisms. Yeah, being Pope, yep. yeah. Still yeah. very interesting, though. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and it brings back thoughts, too, of a couple of weeks ago when we when we saw the first flashback of Anne inside the Ashvini ship, and several of the listeners were having conversations about, was was Anne basically raped by the Ashvini? Yeah. And so <laughs> those yeah. thoughts kind of come back to mind as well. 
that's definitely, definitely true. Being yanked away from something that was supposed to be pure. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. All right. I'm so glad you found that. I know Barb and I both looked for it and you showed that you are, you won the internet more than us combined. So you congratulations, know what I did? Emily. This is this is a cool new feature of Google Images that I hadn't seen before, but I took a screen cap and I uploaded it to Google Images and it found it. I wondered if there was such a thing and I I didn't even look for it, but it, that, the thought occurred to me, Google should be able to scan an image and tell me what it is. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, if you're ever looking <laughs> for something, so there funny. you go. <laughs> oh, Google, you are awesome. I should say that we will have a picture of the painting that you are referencing and a website that tells more about the rape of Europa. I'll have that linked in the show notes. This is episode seven of Berserker Cast. So you can go over to our website, uh, goldenspiralmedia.com. Look for Berserker Cast episode seven to find more info on the rape of Europa. That sounds weird saying that, but that's in fact, <laughs> at the least case. it's not the rape of Anne because you know that would be just sad. Uh, because who wouldn't follow a white bull? Mike says. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. So the other thing I wanted to bring up right here at the beginning of the episode was Hal seeing the little green light on the moon. Did you stop it and see the green light? I yes I well I didn't the first time through but my second watch yes I I just caught it in real time and it wasn't there like the the I mean you had if you didn't catch it that first time when he saw it they, it wasn't yep. there again I don't think I yeah I don't think so either but okay so other than seeing the little green light on the moon which could I mean at this point we're assuming that it's something sinister it looked almost mm-hmm. like a laser somebody's trying to blow up the moon but it made me think that there was a lot of moon imagery in this episode. First of all, being moon blood good. <laughs> okay. Second of all, being <laughs> second of all, being Hal seeing the moon. But then third uh-huh. of all is Anne's flashback to her last moments with Sammy. Mm-hmm. And in that she's reading from Peter Pan and imagery of the moon is brought up there as well. Mm-hmm. So briefly, because I, mm. I really like Peter Pan, <laughs> uh, the, the chapter she's, she's reading from the end of chapter eight and it's, it's the chapter entitled the mermaids lagoon. And so this is the chapter where Wendy first encounters the pirates. And I mean, it's, it's got the best Peter Pan taunting scene in like the entire book and Peter Pan and the pirates begin to fight. Peter is wounded and he and uh, Wendy find themselves on a rock as the, as the water is rising, sorry. And he ties a kite to her and it takes her off the rock, but he's left there standing on the rock and seemingly to be near death because he has no way to escape. He's been wounded, so he can't fly and he can't swim. So at the, at the very end of the chapter, that's where Anne was reading from it. And it, he's standing on the rock listening to the mermaids calling to the moon because it is the most melancholy sound in the entire world. And so his fate kind of rests in the balance there at the end of chapter eight, even though, you know, it's Peter Pan and he's going to get off because everybody loves Peter Pan. So anyway, I thought it was kind of cool that there was a lot of moon imagery, especially with uh, the, was it just the last episode where Hal was telling the story to Dingan about his entire family's, uh, staring at the moon and chances are somebody else in the family will be staring back at you. Hmm. I think that was two episodes ago, maybe, but either way. Yeah. Either that, way. That's a good recollection. Some nice imagery there. Yeah. 
Well, I don't. What do you think it was? Do you think? Do you think the phrase "that's no moon" applies here, <laughs> or was it a Volm weapon? Is it a uh, a Shvini weapon? What do you think it is? I don't know. It's so weird that only Hal saw it, and that he actually did see it because mm-hmm. it was so so such a short amount of time that it was actually there, but. It seems the I mean I I really don't understand how the moon works I mean with the whole reflection of the sun thing but it would seem like there would have to be a point on earth where you could aim it and that's where it would hit the moon I mean if you're thinking okay if if the beam is if there if there's a beam of light coming from the earth striking the moon I wonder if where that bo- that beam is coming from is significant or there's somebody on the moon and they have like a big giant pod that they turn on every once in a while that has a green light illuminating it. So, but I don't know which would be more significant because if they're on the moon, it could be the Volm waiting to come to Earth or, you know, sending Morse code down to their people. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure though. I, I mean, we have such little information on it that I don't even think I could have a theory. I know. And we don't even know that it is on the moon. It could have just been that it was between Hal's eyesight yep. and the moon. But you would think at that point they would have, I mean, we could have seen it easier if they hadn't put it in front of the stinking moon. So <laughs> I don't know what the, what the point of that is. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, right after that, a great scene. Everybody gets reunited, as I said. Here's what Barb uh, had to say about not only the reunion, but the lighting that they chose to use during that scene. The first thing I noticed about this epi was the color and light as our teams reunited versus the darkness that we've seen over the past several years. This was their first happy moment in a very long time, and the greens, reds, yellows, purples, and bright light reminded us that even in their bleak world, there are times of joy and hope. Once the conflict over Lexi began, things again became dark, reminding the viewers of the real threat of their current situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, outside of the yep. the very opening of the season there before the walls came down. I mean, we we have we've talked about how dark this the show itself is dark, but this season has been really I can't tell you how many times I've adjusted the brightness on my computer screen just so I can see what's going on like like when we talked was that genie in the background before we knew, right. you know, when when um Weaver first saw her, we talked about how we adjusted the brightness in the screen caps and stuff. It's been a dark season, so that was one of the light spots for sure, and I think definitely on purpose. Right. Well, and one of the distinctions that David Icke had made at uh, the Falling Skies panel at Comic-Con was when we're, when we're seeing the world through Tom's perspective, it's a world really dark and really clouded in mystery, whereas when we're looking at it through Lexi's viewpoint it's very colorful very bright and one thing that stephanie had said on the podcast yesterday was it's almost like as tom is coming into this world he is bringing the darkness with him because we get a lot of dark colors and it's not as colorful even though even though there are a lot of reds it's also the first time that we really see this place in darkness Hmm. while uh lexi goes into the into the cocoon excuse me and i really like that point because especially after David Icke's comment, you know, just having two worlds of darkness and light and coming together. You know, we, we like to say that the lightness is what stamps out the darkness. It's, <laughs> but it's actually darkness kind of overtaking the light. That's a good point. That's excellent. Yeah. Nice, nice point, Stephanie. Um, by the way, I just remembered you mentioned Comic-Con. Uh, I don't believe uh, the actor that plays Ben was at Comic-Con. I saw him there. Was he there? 
I flew down I there the, just to make sure he was there. Uh, yeah. he, he's there. I got the press release of who was going to be there, and he wasn't listed, so I didn't. And I didn't see him in some of the pictures that I saw. It's because he had he just had too many fans, and then he would just get mugged if he was there, and <laughs> I just didn't want that to happen. Whatever. <laughs> you know, I after after Barb tweeted that comment yeah, about did. him not being there i i went on and like looked for him <laughs> at comic-con and people had taken footage of him in san diego this year at comic-con so i don't know if he just okay. couldn't be there for the panel or something but i thought he was there okay well i didn't see him there but i didn't scour the interwebs and you you have proven your internet skills are better than mine so. <laughs> or i'm obsessed no i'm just kidding <laughs> Let's talk about the thing we already a little bit talked about. Lexi in a freaking cocoon. <laughs> now, was it me or did when I pulled it out on a wide shot, did it look kind of like an eye with her in the I middle? I can kind of see that. What I, what I found weird, and this is probably just because it's a television show where we need to see them, but I've never seen a cocoon that you can actually see through. Have you ever I seen a translucent either, no. cocoon? Mm-mm. I mean, yeah, they're aliens and whatever, but... Eye. It, it would make more sense as to why you could see through the cocoon. Yeah, I don't know what the significance is or if there is. That could have just been my imagination, but there's one I of those shots where it came out that it really looked like, you know, the the, yeah. the, the iris oh, of the sure. eye. Is that the colored part of the eye? And, uh, and just, yeah. You know, whatever the, that's called. So, yeah, I don't know. That's what it reminded me of. I think it, they did a really good job of making it consistent with how all of the other Eshveni structures appear. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it bore very uh, similar features to the eye in the sky. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And then of course the, after Ben's uh, dream about how he and Maggie <laughs> and Hal walking in on them, he walks in on Hal and Maggie kissing and it was a little awkward, even though he's the only one that thinks it's awkward because no one else knows how he feels about Maggie or the dream that he'd had. So it was kind of awkward, but just for him mostly, which made it funny. Torn between two brothers. <laughs> Do you think she has feelings for him? The only reason I say yes is because in Maggie's world, she would not consent to taking someone's side who didn't even kind of didn't deserve it in some of the previous seasons. Like she would never have taken Lexi's side last season. She had only just started to come around to Hal, <laughs> but mm-hmm. she, but she spent the entirety of last season defending Hal, despite the fact that he appeared to be the mole. Mm-hmm. And so she had been broken a little bit. And I think Ben was right that she has a little bit of unresolved fear of letting herself out. So I think he was able to connect with her in a way that Hal was never able to, and he, she probably just kind of sees the bond that Ben has developed with Lexi, despite the fact that he doesn't fully trust her. I mean, he's got to be the only one right now who actually understands what Lexi's going through to some extent, because both Tom and Hal, yes, had they, they had things done to them by the aliens, but Ben and Lexi have been genetically modified. It's something that can't just be removed from them. It, it's become part of them now. Well, and remember, too, when Ben first came back, he was ostracized or wanted to be by some of the second mass and the and the people who were with them, some of the civilians. So um, mm-hmm. he knows what it's like to be yep. on that that burning pitchfork type of uh, yeah. 
that that end of the business as well. Right. Being walked to the gallows. Yeah, because I mean, there yeah, were there yeah. were times when Pope was advocating for Ben's termination, as well as all of the harness kids that they. What was the kid's name that they had rescued right before Ben? Yeah. I can't remember, I remember his, his name. name. Darn. Mm. But I remember yeah, him, I mean, though. he was cool. Yeah, he was cool, but he was also the antithesis of Ben. He was well, the he reason was. why everybody was skeptical. Well, yeah, and he ended up, you know, paying the price for it. He and his dad both did, but gosh, I forgot all about that day where that storyline ended with the weird, wacky cult people <laughs> living uh, in the log cabin. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um all right. Well that's that that's a good point. And I think that that also might come into to play why Ben is has chosen so yes, clearly to, to, to choose his, his side with, with Lex. I think for a variety of reasons, but that, that's one of them for sure. Mm-hmm. Kadar has an idea to help Anne remember what had happened to her on the ship because she's she's been having dreams about being on the Ashveni ship and remembers being in a cocoon of some sort. And so she thinks that she can enter her memories and find out what's going on actually she's skeptical at first but tom kind of pushes her to do it and kadar comes up with some wacky concoction probably a little weaker than walter bishop would have recommended (laughs) hopefully (laughs) it's not lsd or anything we're not right brown (laughs) betty right (laughs) brown betty uh however he is able to hypnotize her to a certain extent. The first one is a little weak. She just has mm-hmm. the flashback of Sammy, which we just talked about a few minutes ago, but mm-hmm. very revealing. Uh, but she's persistent. She wants to go back in, so she gives herself a larger dose and disappears. Yeah, that was awesome. I loved this flashback. We we knew that these people had lost their kids and their wives and their husbands and you know all of these people. I've I've lost people. But to actually see it, and this isn't the first time we've gotten this style of flashback per se, but it's been a while, and it served Mm -hmm. as a reminder of what it was like. There was no time, no warning. It was like you you hear the groaning. They probably don't know. that They certainly didn't recognize it as a a mech groan at that point, but you hear it, and then boom. And just like that, he's gone. And she's right there. Mm -hmm. So it, it just... It it did a lot, I think, for the audience. It did a lot for, in terms of reminding us of what drives these people and what these people have been through, but also it set a nice framework for us to realize why she is so driven. You and I were pretty critical of her at the beginning of the season, and I th- I still think rightfully so, mm-hmm. but at least now we can look at that through her eyes a little bit more and go, that's why. Yep. Look at what happened to one of her last kids. And like she says at the end of the episode, I am not going to let that happen to one of my kids again. I'm going to protect you no matter what. And so the flashback really helped us, I think, understand Anne's position. Right. And I think it really reinforced it for her, too, because her mantra throughout the entire episode was, I couldn't save Sammy, but I can save Lexi. There's still time. You know, once someone's dead, dead is dead. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I know what you mean. (laughs) Whatever happened, happened. (laughs) Oh, but it reinforced it for her as well, because not that she needed a reason to keep fighting, but Mm -hmm. she needed a reason to go back in, I think, because she was freaked out before they sat down to do it. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was great. They did a they did a really good job with the kid and just kind of making it seem like a normal evening 
unassuming and everything. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Well, here's what Barb had to say about the flashback. It was quite sad to see Anne lose her small son to an apparent mech attack when the Asphini first came to Earth. She was so physically close to him and yet unable to save him. It is no surprise that she is determined to save her daughter from the aliens that cost her her son. Yep, indeed, mm-hmm. indeed. You know, one thing I also liked about this episode, we, we just talked about how it helped us understand Anne's perspective, but you know, it's hard for people to realize, and, and I'm not going to say that I, I do to the extent that Tom is in. I've never been put under that pressure, but I've been in a position where I've been asked to lead people and make tough decisions for employees and, and my mm-hmm. employer and stuff like that. So that's that's the thing that I can draw on. Again, not even a fraction of the pressure that Tom would be feeling in this situation, but he is. He's been called on to make tough decisions to protect everybody. You know, Hal lost one person two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and People wanted, you know, Pope, um, it's still Pope, but, you know, mm-hmm. wanted to, to second guess him and, and call him out on it. And, and my point is this, Tom has just felt the weight of it all. And I, and, and he's, he's feeling it here. You make all those tough decisions, you protect all those people, you get them to this safety spot. And then they don't even appreciate that. Yeah. You know, when you say, look, I'm going to, we're going to see what goes on. You need to trust me on this thing. Uh, I'm going to make the right decision and for, for people to not even really give him any, any credit for that. And when Hal says, you know, Hal and Weaver are talking about their plan, they're going to go rescue the kids and they're going to go stop the uh, human conversions. They're going to take down the power source. And Tom says, yeah, yeah, we're going to do all that. But today I I'm, I'm, I'm with my daughter today, you know, and, when when they don't seem to accept that, it was just like he was all alone, and and Tom is just. Uh, it, it, I I liked the way they did it. It was just yeah. you could just feel the weight of of everything bearing down on Tom at that point. Right, and especially what they did with the audio when he's having that conversation with mm-hmm. Hal and Weaver, mm-hmm. just how it's kind of like he's almost drowning everything out, but he's still kind of listening and mm-hmm. it just, the, the situation overwhelms him. You know, that's a great point because I, I was really, I was really disappointed in Hal's reactions to everything because here has Tom, is Tom and Weaver who have spent the last four seasons now almost training Hal up to be a leader for the second yeah. mass. And Hal is, trying to make some very rash decisions. He's trying to make some very permanent decisions very quickly. And he's, and he's aligning himself with the people who are most easily enraged by these kinds of things. Yeah. And I just, I mean, the way he behaved with his father, when he said, what should I tell all of these people? Should I tell them to take a breather while we face the extinction of humankind? And Weaver just goes, Hey, come on, dude, look who you're talking to. Yeah. And Tom, and then that's where you said, Tom says, uh, you know, I've given everything to these people to this fight today. Right now, I'm going to be here for my daughter. You know, the very one time that he just needs just a moment to not just catch his breath, but to solve a problem that cannot be resolved immediately. I mean, they, they don't want to get her out of the cocoon sooner than she wants to come out. But so I was very disappointed in Hal's behavior, even though I understand 
And he, and I think his intentions were good there near the end when he wanted to go talk to his father, but he was, he was sitting there uh, spouting off his mouth to Dingan, who was probably the most even-headed of everyone, but there's Tector sitting right there, there's Pope sitting on the other side, and he's, he's questioning his father's leadership, and that does not help anything. It just showed how quickly a a spark can turn into a, a full on forest fire because that's really what happened here. I mean, there as as literally as there could be, there was a mob with torches and pitchforks coming after Lexi. And mm-hmm. uh part of that is definitely on the weight or on the shoulders, the responsibility on, on how. I I think I want to think at first he was really just trying to learn the situation, but all it did was add fuel to the fire. And 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 Maggie certainly didn't help at all. I mean, she, yeah, she came around at the end, but boy, oh boy, you just lit up. Pope is so excitable and mm-hmm. and uh, you know always ready to throw stones at somebody anyway. And it just they didn't use good judgment for sure. Yeah, Hal was so ready to take Maggie's side. I mean, she he he stood there and listened to his father for a little bit, but it, you could tell right off the bat that he was not. He was not eager to follow through on his dad's plan to just be there for Lexi. Mm-hmm. Everything from just that conversation we were just talking about to walking into where Maggie is <laughs> taking a very solid stand for her immediate termination. Ugh. I love though, Tom made so many great decisions here. I, I think what he told Hal right there was after all I've given, you know, you've got the quote here, you know, what, what you, you said it already, but what yeah. should I tell the people sit tight while we face the extinction of mankind? You know, I've given everything to these people and, and to this fight today, I'm going to be here for my daughter. That was the right thing to say. Yep. That was the exact right thing to say. And then not only that, he takes a total level headed approach and approaches Lourdes. Now Lourdes has done her fair mm-hmm. share of shutting people down, but, I think because she recognizes Tom is the leader, but just the approach that he took, he didn't come at her mm-hmm. with an angry look on his face. He didn't come at her with guns in his vest. You know, he came to her and said, Lourdes, I don't get this. Yeah. You of all people, just like you and I have said, <laughs> he, he finally said the words to her. Lourdes, you of all people should know we can't trust the, the Ishvini. What's the deal here? And so he at least took mm-hmm. the diplomatic approach to say, Explain to me what I can't understand because I'm new here and I need somebody to tell me. And again, I think it just it goes to show why Tom is in the position that he is because he no one else had, had taken that approach. And yeah, it's all about just gathering the facts. He's not mm-hmm. he he's our, he's he told Lourdes, I've been hearing a lot of disconcerting things about Lexi. What's your perspective? He wasn't saying tell me the truth. He was he yeah. was looking for an opinion really. Mm-hmm. But what she said, that really disturbed me because yeah. here's here's again where we have more parallels to Jesus. You know, he uh, she says she's not working for them. She is them and she is us. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, we've talked about the Garden of Gethsemane. But here, I mean, uh, this is where we would say, so Jesus was fully man and fully God. Is that kind of where they're trying to go with this? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I think so. I think the parallels continue to mount. I don't know how the cocoon thing will. I don't think there's there's going to be a direct parallel there. At least not the cocoon part of it. I mean, I, I don't think we 
could draw a parallel there to the Christ being in the grave for three days because she doesn't appear to be dead. <laughs> you know, she wasn't right. killed or anything. But there are so many parallels here that we can yep. draw. And, and she is looking to be the savior of something. Yeah. The, will she be the savior of humanity? Will be she be the savior of the Ishvini in terms of them winning this battle finally? I think both sides want them to be that for them. But I thought the three rings was quite interesting, too. We finally got it explained, and when they explained it, I thought, well, how did we not figure that one out? (laughs) (laughs) We got the Ashvini and the humans, and we're going, well, is it the Volm? Is there some other thing? I don't know what it could be. Lexi's got one around her. Oh, I don't know. How about Lexi? Yeah, there you go. The one that joins the two. (laughs) Humans. Yeah, felt pretty silly. Ashvini and Lexi. Lexi, and, and it does make sense. Yeah. Okay, so the biggest the biggest difference to the Christ story that I decided on uh, was that none of Christ's disciples understood why he had to die. <laughs> and, you know, Peter even cut off an ear of one of the soldiers in defense right. of Jesus being mm-hmm. arrested. And But now, Lourdes, I mean, when right at the beginning of the episode when Anne is trying to tell Tom what has happened to Lexi, Lourdes comes up and says, something wonderful is happening. Yeah, she does. Yeah. <laughs> and you just got to go that, I mean, that is, that is the delusional follower. I, yeah. I at least understand the disciples reactions to Christ telling them that they had, that he was going to die and that he was going into the city. He needed to be arrested and go through these trials. But I don't understand Lourdes at all because that's just, that's blind faith. I don't understand either how you can look at at Lexi inside that cocoon and go, awesome. <laughs> right. What? I mean, I can understand it from my perspective because I'm the casual viewer. Oh, <laughs> right. This isn't our real life. Yeah. <laughs> Put yourself in, in Lourdes's shoes. The word awesome. Not that she said awesome, but you know what I mean? Yeah. No, that reaction is, is nowhere near mine. <laughs> does not match. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so while... Lourdes thinks that it's something wonderful. Shaq gives a little insight into their experience with the Eshveni hatchlings. They've never actually tried to get any of them out alive, which, you know, you can't really blame them. They've been terrorizing mm-hmm. the galaxy. But they did say that the hatchlings are at, are their most are at their most violent. Mm-hmm when they when just they emerge, out. which sheds light on next week's episode title a little bit. Maybe that's a little spoilery. Sorry. Oh, we'll give it at the end of the episode. Might as well okay. give it now. Saturday night massacre. Yeah. That may not be, that may not pertain to that at all. It could be that they really? decide to reenact really? one of Shakespeare's plays there. What was the episode the of Zen revolution Garden? that was named massacre or something? And everybody and their grandmother died from the mustard gas. Yeah. There's that. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're not counting that, though. Yeah. Revolution and falling skies have nothing to do with one another. They're not close at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was not surprised by Shaq and the Volm deciding to retreat. And it seems like they're taking a lot of the second mass with them. Is that the perception you had? I didn't get that perception, but they should. If they do believe that when she comes out, it's likely to end up in a massacre, whatever night of the week that is, then they should try to uh, get the women and children and everyone else off the sinking ship. Yeah. 
But well, I, no, I didn't, like, I didn't pick up on that, but, but you might be it right. It seemed like as as Hal was finally walking over to stand on his father's side, you know, after mm-hmm. Maggie had switched sides, it mm-hmm. seemed like Pope and Tector had turned around and said, let's get out of here. But maybe they just meant get out of this immediate vicinity. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. You might be right. But in any case. Well, in any case, it makes, I mean, what, what Shaq revealed about the hatchlings, if you will, is, is quite interesting. Oh yeah. Um, but then we're, we're, we're almost there to talk about what Anne saw there near the end of her out of body experience. So I, <laughs> I don't know. Literally out of body experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to do yet. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll make a prediction, but we're not, I'm not going to make my prediction just yet. I'm going to hang it out there a little bit longer. Okay. <laughs> um, we get some great, some great dialogue at this point, and really throughout the episode, sides are being chosen, arguments are being made. I I liked that the episode did this, and yet I thought it was a little bit too overdone. And maybe that goes back to the bottle episode thing that you're talking mm-hmm. about earlier. I did like it from this from the standpoint that it seemed like every one of our characters was talking about this. And you would think that that's exactly what would be going on. This is a big deal. You know? Yep. What's going to happen? I mean, Lexi's in a freaking cocoon, really? That's kind of scary odd yeah. thing. Uh that's not human. Oh, she's been talking with the Ishvenis. Oh, that's again not cool. Oh, when when she when these cocoon hatchling things come out, they destroy things. Again, not cool. So you would imagine that people would be having these conversations and picking a side. Oh, but this is Lexi. You know, Tom's there and Tom says he'll pull the trigger if he needs to. And we need to trust him. And Anne says this and we need to, to trust her. There's a relationship here. And, and Alexi's mm-hmm. also half human. You know, all these conversations that would be, you know, they would be taking place. And so I liked that they they brought them in on screen and, and showed these pros and cons, backs and forth, lines being drawn, sides being, you know, taken but I, at the same time, I was like, okay, we get it and enough, enough. Of it. I don't really need to see everybody having this conversation. Uh, right. So I felt like it just kind of spun its wheels for a while just to take up minutes to move to the next thing. It was a little bit filler in, in some ways. I did score it down a full point because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get to my rating in a little bit, but, uh, but that's exactly what we had. And like I said, I liked parts of it in, in some aspects and in some aspects not. At the end of the day, I felt like more, more along the lines of we didn't need quite as much of it as we got. We got the, we got the idea already. You know, now that you say that, it makes it really interesting to me to think about Hal's uh, when when he and his dad are having that conversation that we liked so much. He he's presenting him with a strategy to go into one of those camps where they're skitterizing humans. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting to me that he is so willing to just blow into that camp and rescue a bunch of people who have been turned into half skitters when his sister is in the other room, half in a shvenny. <laughs> so he's he's making a he's making a, a line of distinction between something that has been done to someone and something that someone is seemingly doing to themselves or something that is innate within them. Mm-hmm. And he is taking a very solid stand against his sister in that way. But yet he was ready to go rescue a bunch of half human, half skitter mm. hybrids. That's a great point. Really is. And that had not occurred to me. Just occurred to me now, but I, and so that's, I don't know what I think about that now. <laughs> uh, kind of, 
I uh, just makes you wonder what his I I don't know. Maybe he thinks that he can't rescue Lexi. Maybe he thinks that the situation is hopeless. Mm-hmm. You know, he cited Karen a couple times, right. as did Maggie. Yep. So maybe he just sees it as irredeemable. There's there's definitely a difference here with what Lexi is because mm-hmm. it is in her DNA. She has changed metamorphically. Metamorphically? Sure, it's a word. Sure. <laughs> um, so much already before she even got into that cocoon. So yeah. Yeah. I, I can understand everybody's point of view. I can understand those yep. who took the side against her. I can understand those who took the side of caution with Tom. And I love the line that, that Weaver said. I think I skipped over it up here. From a military standpoint, Lexi is a known threat that should be eliminated. As a father, I would die before I would let anyone hurt her. And that's, you know, again, you, you can see both sides of the mm-hmm. argument. And uh, it was really well done. Which side would you have taken? I would have been on Tom's side, undoubtedly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, because it, it's going back to that same conversation we've been having all season. When there is any part of a human inside of someone, how how can you make the distinction to end that life when there is a possibility of mm-hmm. hope? Yeah. Hmm. I liked that. That entire scene was just amazing. And I think that the the different perspectives that you were talking about that kind of made you rate it down a little bit. And that's actually what made me rate it up was because <laughs> I liked having all of those different perspectives and such in such close proximity. And it was like the way that they shoot these scenes, I really enjoy it because it's always like a handoff. When one when a couple characters are talking about one thing, they hand it off in some beautifully transitioned scene that just goes right into somebody else talking about it that kind of picks it up but changes directions a little bit and mm-hmm. it makes you really understand everything from every perspective and causes you even more internal confliction but yeah then yeah i feel maybe i'll bring it back up half a point like i said i rated it down a full point um maybe maybe a half point because um, like i said there was things i liked about it <laughs> all those perspectives yeah. Well, in terms of getting multiple points of view for each character, we got some feedback from Gannon this week. And uh, he says, fantastic episode. Glad the band is back together. Even though there were hardly any aliens in this episode, this was one of the most intense episodes yet and kept me on the edge of my seat the entire time. Loved seeing each character's point of view to Lexi's situation, and none of the characters were right or wrong. Hal's development this season has been great, and I love seeing him in a leadership position. I even didn't mind Lourdes this episode, especially with her being all over the place this season and also thought Pope handled it well too. You know, that reminds me, Lourdes for the very first time all season sounds like a coherent, sane human being while talking to Tom. Yeah. I mean, of course he's going to believe what she says. <laughs> if, if, he, if he had heard her talking like when we first met her this season, it was just like, you have yeah. to love don't yeah. make her sad. <laughs> she doesn't sound like some freakish cult leader. She sounds like a normal human being. Yeah. Until the point where she's like, oh, look, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that happened before, but yes, I understand. Yeah, it did actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, I felt bad too for Tom and Anne. They, they, Anne tells Tom immediately, we need to talk because Lexi yeah. ain't what you think she is. She's changed. They don't even get to have that conversation before Tom sees her in the cocoon. I, they, they, they don't get any time at all together to do anything to catch up at all. It was, uh, I felt bad, you know. But that's the reality of their, of yeah. their state. 
seems like that's perpetual. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's talk about this out of body experience. What Anne oh, yeah. learned to it, and how do we apply this and make predictions for the future? I'll let you. I want to hear what you have to say first. So you're talking about when Anne isn't able to put herself back into her body, and Lexi appears to her yes. and seems to know. She seems to know the dreams or hallucinations she's had. Mm -hmm. She seems to be able to have discerned what was going on in Anne's mind. You know, I was suspicious early on in the season that Lexi was actually drawing her mother to her and kind of forcing her to have some of those memories that she was having of herself or mm. Anne having of herself. Because mm -hmm. there, there were a couple times when she uh, woke up and her reaction wasn't it didn't mirror what she had just dreamed about like something terrifying and she was like <gasps> yep you have to go west <laughs> right right and at this point uh, okay so the other thing was that uh shack told us told us told us that the hatchlings attack both body and mind which was very interesting to me and hmm like on one hand, we we've seen the Ishveni play mind games, mind wars on people. They've mm -hmm. they they can the only way of communicating is through the skitterized or the harnessed kids. Right. But I don't know if I can actually pinpoint a time when they've manipulated someone without their own technology. So either this Ishveni human hybrid Lexi has become is causing her to have extraordinary powers that can invade someone's mind or maybe this just happens while she's in this stage <laughs> she's in total nirvana right now maybe she is permeating the very thin outer layer of her quote cocoon well, there's no question that she had some awareness of, of her surroundings when she burned weaver Mm -hmm. It was not, he wasn't attacking her, but mm -hmm. he was kind of an unknown entity. Um, but when they started coming with, you know, torches and pitchforks, mm -hmm. there was this almost a scream that came out of the cocoon. And then immediately the camera shifts and we see them all coming. So she right. was definitely aware of her surroundings and, and connected with what was still going on, which is again some sort of out of body telekinetic sort of thing going on. That's a good know. point because I think Shaq even told us that after they had killed one of the hatchlings still inside its cocoon, the other two around them had started radiating heat. Mm -hmm. So they can That's definitely, right. they're definitely very uh, sensitive to what's going on around them. So mm -hmm. I don't have any problem uh, making that leap to, Lexi somehow just penetrate well, because well in the same state you know if we've learned anything from fringe <laughs> mm -hmm. in in the state that Anne was in she was at her most vulnerable I don't know I mean just in the science fiction aspect of it most easily for someone else to penetrate or to enter into her dream state if you want so yeah I don't have any problem believing that Lexi has come to this point <laughs> I don't have yeah problem believing anything about Lexi right now. <laughs> I know, right? They really have done a great job of making us prepared to believe whatever yeah. comes out of that cocoon next week, she could be shooting lasers out of her eyes and have <laughs> grizzly bear arms and we're going to go, all right! 
dude. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> this is what they're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Uh, during the flashback or the, um, yeah, it was during that flashback. We, we, Lexi says that she chose Anne. Oh yeah. Um, not I. I hear my notes. Not Lexi, but I should have said Karen. And that Karen, was at that yeah. point where Karen is trying to take her away as a as an infant, or not as an infant, as a as a small child, toddler. Great. And she says, "No, I'm I'm going to stay with my mom." And she also says to Anne, "You don't have to save me," because Anne's trying to. How do I save you? How do I get get you out of this? She says, "You don't have to save me. I'm going to save you." So does this our this reminded me of the Sam Weiss conversation where he had with Nina. Whichever universe Olivia oh, chose oh, yeah. would be the one that would be, you know, created and the other one would be destroyed. Uh, is this her creating or destroying moment? Is is it going to be whichever side she chooses, the other is destroyed? Or what do, you, what, do you, what do we read out of this? I think that is exactly what I was thinking. Not so eloquently, though. I was mostly thinking, you know, she's going to have to choose a side when she comes up. Because she did say... I will always choose my family. But mm-hmm. but the Isfini are her family too. <laughs> right. Right. The fact that she said her father is coming and she needs to get ready, that really does exactly. not help things. So never mind. <laughs> right. I take back everything. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, there's we we we've already seen that the Ishveni are divided. They they don't have a solid approach to their dominion of Earth. The two the monk and the Scorch dude, they're on opposite sides of the same side, opposite ends of the same side. Right. So I guess the thing that keeps coming back to me is that maybe Lexi, when when it all is finally revealed to her about their true plans for her, maybe she's going to find try to find a way to make it right. Seeing that she is responsible and maybe she'll start to blame herself for some of the things that went wrong. Mm-hmm. Maybe she'll see how they have been using her and be the sacrifice, if you will. <laughs> Maybe the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice. Mm. So then Ben can live. Hey, you know, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, listening audience, but I think everyone would rather Lexi die than Ben. <laughs> Is that right? They're all saying yes. I only say that because, well, a, a few things. One, we've we've set her up all season as this Christ figure, and we yep. know that Christ died to save Human, human, humankind, humanity. Yes. So there's that, but there's also this. I think just even before those uh, analogies were, were being brought in, we we kind of saw her. She's something special, and and yeah. she's going to be the difference maker. And a lot of times, that hero sacrifices himself or herself in this case for the greater good. So I. That's the only reason I say it. it's not because yep. we like Ben as a character or as a person or anything or because he's fully human and she's not. It's none of that stuff. I just think it's, yeah. that seems to be the character arc, the path that her character is on. I could agree with that very much so. Hmm. Undoubtedly, it makes it all much more interesting now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tensions are high. You want to hear what Barb had to say about the Lexi cocoon and out-of-body thing? I do It was quite a surprise to see Anne entrapped in a cocoon while she was held prisoner by Karen. So was this cocoon used as a jail cell, or was Anne experimented on in some way? I still think she must have some Esfini DNA in her veins. So Lexi is in a cocoon that looks like a giant beating heart, and she may have brought her mother back from the brink of death at least once. She said she would always choose Anne, but does that also mean that she will put the rest of the humans first, 
I suspect she will not. And this will become a breaking point for Tom and Anne. See, see, Barb does this every week. We think that the, 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 the choices are A or B. The choices are, will Lexi save humans or the Ashvini? But Barb goes, oh, no, no, there's door number three. <laughs> Lexi could save Anne and screw the rest of the humans and go with the Ashvini. And I think that's actually a very likely scenario because what was really interesting to me was how Tom was, they were having that discussion about Karen and, and yeah. Yeah. And he, and he, he says something along the lines of she wasn't your sister, <laughs> which he says that he'll stand up for anyone. He said, if any one of you was in that cocoon, I would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. But then again, Karen had, many times over proven that she was past right. being saved. So right. there, yeah. there might be a little bit more of a distinction there, but, but I, I question even Tom's commitment to people that aren't his family. He just doesn't have enough time <laughs> or energy to put that kind. I mean, would you do that for anyone who wasn't your family? I mean, I would be, I would be up there standing next to Tom defending her, but I wouldn't be the one trying to come up with reasons why we needed to defend her. <laughs> I just, I just take the side and fight alongside. You tell me where to fight for. Yeah. I think that Tom would do that for anyone that is in his second mass family. Okay. I do. Yeah, you're probably right. Maybe not Pope. You at least let Pope sweat it out a little bit. Pope. <laughs> I love Pope. And rightfully so. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ah, so many good things. I don't know what's going to happen next week. I'm leaning on, I'm still leaning towards the side that Lexi will save humanity, all of humanity, defeat the Ishvini, and will die in the, in the We process. do have one more season left, so they can't be completely gone yet. Oh, sure. Oh, you mean end of next season? I don't know that that's, no, well, okay. yeah, whenever, whenever. I mean, uh, yeah, who knows what next season could be? Next season could be. Actually, we did hear the zombie season for anyone interested. Check out the falling skies news from Comic-Con or listen to TV rewind episode 181. And we discuss it very much in depth. uh, Stephanie and I do, because there's a lot of really good stuff in there about the upcoming season four. Five. Sorry. The rest of season four. No, I think there was a little bit of season four, but a lot about season five as well. David Icke and the, the cast go into a little bit, but, um, yeah, so if you want to know spoilery stuff about uh, Falling Skies at Comic-Con, check that one out. But hmm. See, now I don't know if I want to check. I, I haven't, I've avoided it so far, and I don't know. It's, it's, not, it's not spoilery to the point where you're like, well, I don't even have to watch this anymore. But it, it's, it's at least interesting, yeah. and it made me really excited. I, I'll say that. Made me okay. really excited. I mean, if had I been at Comic-Con, I would have been right. all over. Like, yeah, Falling Skies, heck yeah. So, Daryl, what did you rate this episode? <laughs> I gave it 8.5. I'll put the 0.5 back in. Hershey's Kisses. I don't know how those survived, but they got a whole jar of them. Well, Hershey's is a major sponsor of Falling Skies, so they've got to throw it in there every once in a while. They are. You're (laughs) right. We saw that last season when um, What's-Her-Face got killed. There was a Hershey bar in that scene. Well, and they're always selling Hershey bars at at Charleston and and the commercials yeah. in between. Yeah. Anyway, I gave this episode nine burnt hands. This was my favorite episode of the season. Nice. 
And Barb gave it seven cocoon beating hearts. By the way, if you want to send in your episode rating, maybe you're not a feedbacker type, but if you want to send in your episode rating, we'll take those. You can send it to us on Twitter or just email it to us. Either way works. And Mark gave it, oh, wait. Yeah, Mark is busy this week and he hasn't had a chance to watch the episode yet. come on, man. I need you. I told him we would miss his, he emailed me and said, I'm sorry, I can't write in this week. And I said, well, loser, whatever. Eh? This this is this is number one, Mark. I won't deduct any points right now. <laughs> this is your one and only warning. <laughs> this, is, this is your one and only warning. I think I gave him a warning last, or two weeks ago. But anyway, in terms of closing thoughts here, this might be a little spoilery, but Gannon writes in and he says, my prediction for next week, Saturday Night Massacre, is he says he's already freaking out. His prediction is that a lot of people will die. And here's who he thinks is going to die. Dr. Kadar. Denny, Tector, some Volm, lots of Chinatown people and second mass fighters, and possibly either Anthony or Lourdes as it was. I don't think I want to read that part. Spoilery. So bleep. That's a little spoilery. I, I, I hadn't heard that until I just now read it. And I'm, I'm a little disappointed that I just read that. <laughs> I don't mind that. I don't mind that stuff. But okay. Yeah. That's one of those things that could go either way. Okay. Anyway. Uh, more falling or more Comic Con news. So if you want to yeah. know for sure who people are saying that are dying, check that one out. We we should confirm because of the way you stopped that. You said either Lourdes or Anthony will die as it was confirmed at Comic Con. Then you kind of stopped. It was not confirmed that one of them will die. That right. Was, there Sorry. was more to that sentence that, that Emily didn't read. That that. So what we did not just say is that it's been confirmed that Anthony or Lourdes will die. That that is not right. In fact, it has been confirmed yeah. that a series uh, a series regular will die. That's what's been confirmed. Right. Sorry, I I was thinking it in my head and I didn't actually say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, and I, yeah. Just, thank you for uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't find that too spoilery. There was another. Oh, it was under the dome. They came out before the season started and said two series regulars will die in the season two episode one. Oh. And even though I knew it was coming when it happened, I, I didn't feel like, oh, okay. I got it ruined or anything yeah, like that. That's a good so point. I think it's kind of the same thing right. here. Well, and, and so, nobody's died in like three episodes. So, you know, something's mm-hmm. coming. <laughs> well, it sounds with the word massacre, you would expect at least right. one death. Right. <laughs> I vote for Lourdes. Probably more than that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No. Sorry to that actress. It's nothing against you. Clearly, clearly she does her role very well to make us hate her so much. That's that's right. And that's the thing. I'm looking at the names that are named here. Dr. Kadar, Denny, Tector, Volm, Chinatown, Second Mass. I don't want you know, you would think at least one name brand character's got to die. Yeah. I don't In know, order though. to keep it legit. <laughs> and it kind of goes back to what I said near the top of the show where the cast is so big, some of these people are barely getting any lines. I mean, maybe they do need to weed it out a little bit. I hate to say that. That I know. sounds terrible. Oh, it's true. It's a big, yeah. it's a big, big cast. And this episode really emphasized that there were a lot of, there were a lot of mm-hmm. scenes with a lot of the cast in it. So it was very different. Than yeah, usual. Definitely. All right. You ready for some Twitter action? I am. All right. So the Twitter question this week was, how will Lexi be different when she emerges from the cocoon? So Gannon cheated because he emailed us in his response, but I guess that's all right for now. For now, Gannon. 
It's only cheating in that he gets more than 140 characters. <laughs> right. Good point. Although many people have often used multiple tweets to send in their response, which is fine as well. So it's only a minor tweet or a minor <laughs> cheat. Minor cheat. All right. He says, I believe Lexi will be more powerful than ever. She will have her memories of the events of the past year, but I believe she will be full Ishveni, not physically, though. And she will be quite a problem for the second mass and for the rest of the season. Hence, for the next week, Scorch and his troops finally track down Tom, and he thinks that Lexi will be involved with that inside with Scorch to set an example. Dun, dun, dun. Wow. That's a that's quite possible. I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> I hope not, too. I don't like that at all, Ganon. You know, I was wearing my Zelda t-shirt last week, and I forgot to even bring it up once, and now I'm I'm opposed to what Ganon just said, and I've got my You Have Died of Dysentery shirt on. So that's the best I can offer you this week, Ganon, is, well, I don't want you to die of dysentery. I'm not that guy. <sighs> all right, I don't know what to say. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Wolfbite says she will be a redhead. Hashtag hair metamorphosis. I like it, Wolfbite. Awesome. Uh, it's hard to get a good hairdo in this post-apocalyptic alien-invaded world, so maybe that's how it gets done. Tangier14, Barb, says she will be a weapon of mass destruction. Sorry, couldn't help myself. Barb. I like it. Barb, just once I'm asking you to restrain yourself. Just once. <laughs> Jovial Falcon says something with wings, which means vacate with the Volm before Buffy the Human Slayer hatches. <laughs> <laughs> and Mickey Thomas One says Lexi will be like an Ishveni. She will have to. She will have held onto her humanity and saved the human race, race much to their surprise. Hey, mm-hmm. kind of has taken your point of view. Mickey's a good dude. He's he's wise in so many ways. <laughs> you guys are like BFFs, yeah. Yeah, there's something in the water here in Oklahoma City, and uh, uh, we're I both see. drinking it. We've got some flower tea that we're sipping down here. All right, well, as we've said many, many times now, uh, next week's episode is called Saturday Night Massacre. So They should have named it Sunday Night Massacre because the show comes on Sunday nights. I know. What were they thinking? What were they thinking? <laughs> Saturday Night Fever, maybe? Were they going, there's gonna, that's it. <gasps> that's it. There's going to be a dance-off. There is going to be a dance-off. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be the battle for Maggie's heart. <laughs> the brothers are gonna face off. Oh dear, he's dancing now <laughs> without any music whatsoever. I don't need music. It's in my mind. <laughs> I got rhythm. <laughs> anyway. Oh dear. Yeah. So yeah, we'll find out. Hey, but you know what? Here's what I was trying to get to. We want to hear from you next week. Send in your feedback by calling 304-837-2278 or head on over to the website. That's goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. We have a form, easy form you fill out. You can either type something up, you can attach an audio file, or you can use the SpeakPipe widget. All those are available over at goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. So hit us up. We want to hear from you next week. Indeed. All feedback is due by 6 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday because we begin to record live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And you can join our live show and chat with all of the cool people right now in the chat room by mm. going to www.goldenspiralmedia.com slash live. Indeed. You can also participate in the BC Twit 
Twitter poll question by following us on Twitter. That's GSM Podcasts. And uh, be sure and use your, uh, when you do your reply, use the hashtag BCTwit. And we also invite you to check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media. Next week, we are supposed to have a special guest joining mm-hmm. us. So I tried to confirm with him one last time today so I could make a, an affirmative, affirmative announcement. But uh, he and I have, have done some email back and forth, and that is Doug okay. Jones. You know, we had him scheduled a couple of weeks ago, and some things came up. Uh, we have rescheduled that for next Tuesday. So as Emily <laughs> said, the live show starts at 8 o'clock Eastern time at goldenspiralmedia.com slash live. And if everything goes well, hopefully we'll have Doug Jones joining us. It's interesting because we didn't get him at all in this week's episode. No Cochise, as we said. Hopefully we'll have a a lot of stuff happening with him next week that we can maybe ask him about. But we'll find out. Yes, we will. Well, until next time, remember that it's always easy to get carried off by aliens. And resistance is never, ever futile.